Hello and welcome to a Wonder Care podcast, formerly known as Wonder Baba podcast. I'm Sheena Mitchell, a pharmacist and mum of three. I combine healthcare and practical advice to support you on your parenting journey. I bring you this episode with the support of Salon Plus Breathe Easy Cell Therapy device. I'll be chatting about that a little bit more in a minute. This week, I'm going to be talking all about norovirus, aka the winter vomiting bug. I'll be chatting all about its signs and symptoms, its management at home, its treatment, if and when you need to see the doctor. And I'll also be answering some questions that came in through Instagram or through our podcast WhatsApp number 086-035-3462. Okay, so norovirus. Joy of joys. Unfortunately, I had it in my own house before Christmas. One of the girls was really, really unwell with it. And I was like, oh, I forgot how horrible, how horrible it is. So just explain gastroenteritis is, you know, the most common cause of vomiting in children. And it is often accompanied by diarrhea. And the most common virus or bug to cause gastroenteritis in Ireland is norovirus. So it is viral. Important to say there, antibiotics not going to help here. It's normally quite nasty and quite persistent and it can be really upsetting as a parent to watch your child struggle that way and being sick. And I know even in older kids, they are just like, what is going on? I don't understand. They're very upset about it. It's just awful. Like it's a time that you just unfortunately do need to maybe jump in the bed with them and support them through it. But it does usually clear up by itself in a few days, but there are things you can do to help them from feeling particularly unwell during that period. It's important to know that it is quite contagious, so it does spread quite quickly. You kind of are taking a bit of a gamble getting into the bed, but you know yourself whether your child needs you or not. And, and I know as a mum, I just wanted to hop in there and I know lots of mums and dads feel the same. You know you're ready to take the risk, but... Do try and keep on top of your hand hygiene and surface hygiene and maybe keep faces pointing in different directions if it's in the house. The symptoms of norovirus. So first of all, we've got nausea. It sounds simple, but when your stomach feels queasy and sick and it's also accompanied by excess saliva production and an increased heart rate. So, you know, you'll even find that in kids who get car sick. They're going along and they're like, oh, mummy, my mouth is filling up with spit. Well, that is not a good sign. It is usually means that vomiting is coming. So if that happens, if tell your child if they feel like they have a lot of spit in their mouth to let you know, because you need to try and get them a basin or whatever. It just means that there's probably imminent vomiting. Unfortunately, nausea and vomiting can be quite common in babies, but this norovirus affects all age groups. So I'm kind of going to talk about the, the treatment for everyone rather than just for a baby. Other symptoms include diarrhea. So obviously you've got the vomiting, so the nausea, which turns into vomiting. And then you've got diarrhea, just altogether not a pleasant illness. Some people will also have a slight fever, headaches, maybe painful stomach cramps and just general aches and pains. Normally, if you are going to get symptoms of norovirus after being in contact with someone who has the vomiting bug, the winter vomiting bug, then it'll be kind of one to two days later and you'll probably feel sick and have symptoms for two to three days after that. Just want to highlight that there are other causes, you know, because I specialise in kind of family health, obviously there's a lot of people with kids and babies and I just want to say there's a lot of other causes of nausea and vomiting. I'll just name a couple, but I won't go into them in detail in this episode. So 
a bit of positing or regurgitating is really normal for very young babies because of their immature gut. But sometimes that can indicate reflux. Depends on the pattern. But I will do an episode of that down the road. Other things such as even ear infections, urinary tract infections and even meningitis can cause vomiting. So if vomiting is very, very severe and has other symptoms with it, like drowsiness or rash, that's a case where you do need to contact the doctor straight away. Also, things like food or medication allergy. So, you know, um, I suppose a lot of people know about a penicillin allergy and people kind of tend to think about it as a rash. But actually, vomiting can start after your child has their first penicillin antibiotic and it's important to stop the antibiotic in that case and talk to your GP. Another thing that can cause vomiting, consumption of a poison. So if you think your child has swallowed something that is potentially poisonous, so young kids are so hard to keep out of presses, but if they ever were to get their hand on something like medicines or alcohol or cleaning products or, you know, anything really that they shouldn't be drinking, it's no harm then to ring the National Poisons Information Centre They are absolutely amazing and you will find them online. They have a number. It's 018092166 and give them a ring. If they're not open, ensure and contact your out-of-hours doctor service. But yeah, you can find them online at poisons.ie. I think it should nearly be printed on every child that's born because (laughs) it's very rare that you get through a whole childhood without someone swallowing something they shouldn't. Anyway, there are other causes of vomiting which are more physical And with that, it's often more projectile vomiting. So you can have congenital issues or hernias, things like that. If your child has vomiting with severe pain, then always contact your doctor. Okay, so how does norovirus spread? Well, basically, it spreads rapidly because you can catch norovirus by inhaling or ingesting viral particles that can be released from vomit or poo of an infected person or even just through them breathing out small particles containing containing the virus that you could inhale. So close contact is a risk. The norovirus can actually live on surfaces for several days. So This is where it's really important to have a good kind of scrub down method. And if your child is sick and you have the luxury of not having just one bathroom in the house, then it's really important to maybe get everyone else in the family to use the other bathroom. And if you don't, just make sure that you're continuously disinfecting the bathroom area every time that they have a vomiting or diarrhea episode. Another way that norovirus can spread is through food so you know if say for example I had the virus and it wasn't particularly bad and maybe I didn't notice but I didn't wash my hands before I prepared the food then everyone in my house would be at risk of ingesting the viral particles that came off my hands and all of a sudden they're sick and maybe they're worse than I you know it is sometimes possible to be carrying things and you don't even know so it's just important to keep everyone washing their hands and keeping the surfaces clean as much as possible saying that you know my children would pick up food off the floor and eat it so I'm not saying that everything needs to be sterile absolutely not I actually kind of think a bit of dirt does nobody any harm but if you think that there is sickness going around or if there's any chance that someone's feeling unwell just really ramp up the surface cleaning and hand hygiene You can get the norovirus more than once because it's one of those lovely viruses that keep adapting. So you don't really get a long term resistance to it. 
tips to prevent contracting norovirus or the winter vomiting bug. Like with any other viral infection that gets into the house, sometimes you can do your best and still fall foul of it. But it's important to ensure that kids or adults stay off work or school until at least 48 hours after the symptoms have passed. Uh, Even if everyone's feeling better, if the 48 hours hasn't passed, it's not time for visiting people in hospitals or nursing homes or anything like that because we really want to reduce the potential for this virus to get hold among vulnerable people. Another thing you can do, as I said earlier, is just wash, wash, wash the hands and don't rely fully on alcohol hand gels because they don't kill the virus so you need to be literally soap and water washing it off try and wash any items of clothing or bedding that could have come contaminated and do a hot wash so you know a 60 degree wash to ensure that the virus is killed if you've children with the virus make sure they're not sharing any towels and flannels make sure that whoever has the bug is flushing straight away And, you know, maybe leave some disinfectant wipes that they can wipe the toilet surface and then pop it in the bin. And yeah, in general, just try to avoid eating raw or unwashed food. We all kind of know how to prevent getting viruses, but it's no harm to have a refresher. Okay, so next up, I'm going to talk about the treatment. Norovirus is a virus and so antibiotics won't help. People sometimes confuse it with bacterial stomach infections, which often happen when you come home from abroad and things and you get antibiotics for that. There is an element of just having to let it run its course. In terms of food, you read a lot of stuff online saying you need to eat this, you need to eat this, you need to not eat this. Reality, you need to eat plain, simple food as you feel like it. So little and often, and I mean things like soup or a bit of bread or toast you know keep it kind of simple and just try and eat little and often when possible it's the same with drinking you don't want to take any huge volumes into your stomach when your stomach is so sensitive so by sipping on water regularly throughout the day just small amounts kind of constantly it means that if you are sick there is a chance that you know a lot of the water that you've been sipping on beforehand has been absorbed and helping to keep you hydrated There are times when water on its own won't be enough and if you or your child are showing any signs of dehydration like drowsiness or not really going to the toilet to pass urine frequently, if they're in nappies and they haven't had a wet nappy in over 12 hours, if anyone's feeling dizzy or babies are coming kind of lethargic or have a dry mouth, these are all things that might start to indicate dehydration and I would definitely recommend the use of rehydration salt in that case I'll talk a bit more about products in a second it is important that in certain circumstances in dehydration you do need to see a doctor so in young babies if they don't have any wet nappies for a prolonged period like over 12 hours kind of need to see the doctor then particularly if a child is very lethargic or drowsy or not responsive like they normally would be or if they're eyes and the little soft spot the fontanelle at the top of their head becomes sunken they may be crying but not juicing any tears or they're very irritable or their skin starts to look a bit loose or pale and mottled that along with other things that can indicate things like meningitis like having a rash or stiff neck or headache or light sensitivity or even then with anyone who has vomiting that's persisting longer than 48 hours and that person isn't able to take any fluids or if their vomiting contains any blood or it's green in colour or if your child can't stop vomiting and is unable to hold down even tiny amounts of fluids. So any of those along with severe stomach pain 
do require a doctor visit. For the majority of people, it will just be a case that they're vomiting and, you know, potentially having diarrhea episodes. And then they're able to kind of lie down for a half an hour, an hour, and then it starts again and they're up and down and it's frustrating and upsetting. But you are able to get small amounts of rehydration sachets into them. And that's kind of okay so long as they're not showing any of the other symptoms that I described there a minute ago. So you're literally just keeping an eye, watchful waiting. I always talk about that term. So just keep an eye on your child, keep reviewing their symptoms. But in general, you will be just treating your child at home. I'm going to give you some advice now on keeping hydrated and the different types of options that there are out there depending on age. I just want to take a little break for a second to say that I'm delighted to partner again with one of my all-time favourite products, Salon Plus. This is the world's first 100% natural dry salt therapy device. It's clinically proven to relieve a wide range of allergens and respiratory conditions. The salt therapy method has been trusted for generations and is now hugely popular worldwide as more and more people recognise the superb results achieved from a natural and non-invasive method. This device will help you breathe easier and sleep better. The first product I'm going to talk about for treatment is Dioralite. A lot of people know the name Dioralite and know that it's commonly used to treat dehydration. So a few important pieces of information about it. Obviously, it's available without prescription. And it works basically by replacing the water and salts that are lost from your body when you have diarrhea or vomiting. So it does contain glucose and salts, so it helps to replenish your body's salt levels. The powder has to be mixed with water first before using it. I would say that if your child is under two, you know, you need to remain really vigilant on watching for the signs of dehydration that I mentioned earlier. And if they are dehydrated, you know, you may need to see a doctor. But I'll come back to that a bit more when I'm talking about dose. But for adults or kids, if diarrhea has been persistent for more than kind of 24, 48 hours, it may be that you need other treatment. So, you know, you might need medical attention at that point. The other thing to just kind of flag is that if you have chronic or persistent diarrhea or you have liver or kidney disease or diabetes, you should probably see a doctor as well. For diorolite, you prepare just before you're going to take it. So don't make it up in advance. The only exception to that is if you're giving it to a small child who's taking less than a sachet as a dose, then you can make it up but do keep it in a fridge. So it can be kept in a fridge for 24 hours, but any unused solution after 24 hours does need to be dumped. You can only dissolve it in water. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my child doesn't like the taste of it, so I put in some juice. You shouldn't do that. It should just be water, nothing else. And if you are using it, um, if you've had medical advice and you're using it in children under one year, so from three months to one year, then you need to be using water that's been freshly boiled and cooled. And it's no harm to do that for adults as well. You're going to make the sachet up with 200 mils of water and give it a good stir. Don't make it too weak or too strong. So basically do actually take out a little measuring jug and measure the 200 mils because if the balance of salts is wrong in the solution, it can basically affect the balance of salts in your body. So just to keep that in mind. For an adult, they're going to take one to two sachets after every loose stool. So that's after every kind of bout of diarrhea. For children... It is one sachet after each bout of diarrhea. For babies under two, generally, the way the doctor will work it out is that they will give roughly one to one and a half times the amount of fluid that your baby normally has in 24 hours. 
But this isn't something really that I think you should be doing yourself at home. For young kids, it's not work, worth the risk of kind of self-treatment. Dehydration can become serious. So I would urge that you seek medical attention. Important information that you just mightn't get if hospitals or doctors are busy and you're at home and you've been advised to use Diorlite in your child under two. Just remember that if you're breastfeeding, you continue to feed like normal. So your baby might take less breast milk. So you may need to express some breast milk to keep your supply up while your child is sick. It's worth noting that if you're breastfeeding, you do continue to feed like normal. But if you're bottle feeding or if your child is on, say, water and food, you need to prioritise the diorolite. So you're actually going to stop the bottle feeds until your child is rehydrated. So until they're kind of settled a little bit, you're giving the amount of diorolite that you would normally give in a bottle. Obviously, as soon as their symptoms start to improve and they're they're looking hydrated, then you reintroduce their normal food. That advice is kind of the same for kids and adults. So just ease off the food, which, as I said, there does include bottle milk, but does not include breastfeeding. And once a person is rehydrated, then you go back to normal. In terms of giving a baby who's vomiting as well as diarrhea or a child, um, no matter what age, if they have vomiting as well as diarrhea, give small amounts. So you're talking kind of five to ten mils, which is about one to two teaspoons every five minutes. And you can gradually increase it if they're not vomiting until they're able to drink the volume normally. I find with toddlers and older kids, mine used to kind of be like, oh, this doesn't taste great because it can be a little salty. But once I give them a cup with the amount in it and a syringe, an oral syringe, like from a bottle of Calpol or Nurofen or whatever, they were delighted to if when I told them they could, you know, syringe it up and give it to themselves. Okay, a little bit will go all over the place, but it's a much easier way to give a child diorolite because it's a game for them then. On the topic of it not tasting amazing, there's a couple of cons with diorolite. So the first is that it can be quite salty, even in the black currant or citrus flavours, not just the natural. There is another product called ORS and they are also rehydration um, salts which come in the form of tablets like you'd imagine an effervescent Rubex or something like that, the a vitamin C. So the tablet, you just dissolve one tablet in 100 mils of water and, you know, you just administer the dose that way. They have a few more flavours to them that are a little stronger and they kind of mask the salty feeling a bit better. So if your child isn't taking Diorolite, just remember that ORS may be an option. Diorolite recently is going in and out of supply. We're having difficulty keeping it on our shelves at times because it's just not available like a lot of things at the moment. So ORS is currently available and yeah, it's kind of a, a better tasting version. So that is Diorolite and ORS. So that's how you're going to rehydrate your child and that's really important. So hopefully that'll help, you know, prevent any signs of dehydration, which means you can just continue to manage the situation at home. Obviously, sometimes it's impossible. You can't get the fluids into them or they're vomiting or diarrhea too much and they're starting to show signs like lethargy, tiredness, drowsiness, non-responsiveness, loose skin, a sunken fontanelle, no tears when they're crying. And some patients do actually just need to go to hospital for IV fluids. And, you know, it is important just to keep an eye and make sure you're comfortable treating at home. But as I said, the majority of kids will be absolutely fine. Another treatment option to reduce diarrhea is Imodium. So leperamide is the drug that's in that. 
it's important to say that it's only suitable for children over 12. If they're vomiting as well, I definitely recommend getting the fast melts because they dissolve in the mouth and so they don't have to get down to the stomach to work, which, you know, can be great when anything that goes into the stomach comes out again. And yeah, have a read on the packaging. But for children over 12, they're going to take two tablets to start and then one after every loose bowel motion. The maximum dose should not exceed six tablets per day. There is no reason not to treat the diarrhea if someone has norovirus. Some people get very hardcore about this and, you know, say, oh, no, I need to let it run its course kind of (laughs) better out than in. No, like you can absolutely use Imodium with norovirus. Obviously, it's not going to get rid of the virus, but it does reduce the symptom of diarrhea and diarrhea is ultimately a symptom. And treating the symptom does help to reduce the chances of becoming dehydrated. Some people like to use Motilium or Domerid, two brands of Domperidon, which can be used to help with nausea and vomiting. It's important to say that that should only be used in kids that are over 12 years of age and they need to be weighing over 35 kg. So if you have a very slight child, pop them on the scales before you use any Domperidone, such as Motilium. There are studies to say that motilium can be associated with an increased risk of heart rhythm disorder and the people more at risk of this are patients over 60 or people who are taking more than one tablet three times a day. There's also an increased risk of these cardiac issues if you're on some other medications. So I'd always say, and actually it's a requirement now, to talk to your pharmacist before you buy it. So you might be wondering why you've gone in in the last couple of years to the pharmacy and said, can I get some motilium? And you get Spanish Inquisition. What are you on? What have you tried? All of these kind of questions. That is because we are fulfilling our obligation to make sure that the medicine is safe for you. And by getting a little, I suppose, drug history off you, we can tell you if it's suitable or not. And what we're trying to do there is to prevent any increased risk of a heart rhythm disorder or cardiac arrest. I'll give you a few examples of medicines that shouldn't be taken with motilium. I'm just going to name the most common ones. People with heart problems or high blood pressure who are on amiodarone, dronedronone, which is multac, sotalol, and there's a few others. Also some antifungals. So if you're on an ongoing dose of fluconazole or itraconazole, which uh, would be Spornox. So a lot of these sometimes can be, you know, courses over a couple of weeks and during that time you should not take motilium. Also then... Some patients who suffer from depression or psychosis could be on medicines like citalopram or escitalopram or haloperidol. And these, again, unfortunately, are not compatible with motilium. The best time to take motilium is before a meal. If you're vomiting um, or you think you might vomit, I would definitely recommend using the fast melts rather than the regular tablets. Because again, these, like the emodium, fast melts are absorbed in your mouth, not relying on your stomach. The reason we say to take motilium before meals on an empty stomach is because if you take it with food, it doesn't absorb as well and it won't work as well. For parents who are breastfeeding, if, say, you and your baby are both absolutely destroyed with norovirus, it's important to say that domperidone might not be great if you're breastfeeding. Some domperidone is detected in breast milk and there is a potential that it could affect the heart of your breastfed baby. You know, your doctor will advise you on that, but just to be aware, it's something worth checking. 
obviously with any of these medicines that I'm discussing now, they're only for short term use. So you're thinking kind of three or four days because that's the normal life of a norovirus infection. And hopefully you won't need it after that. If you do, you do probably need to see the doctor. Okay, now moving on to the next part, which is when to see a doctor and if you need to. As I said there, there is no stopping norovirus. There's no treating it with antibiotics because it's a virus. And unfortunately, there is no cure. It does just have to pass. You can, as I said, alleviate symptoms and important to keep an eye on dehydration. So things like modium can be helpful. And also then, you know, using diorolite or ORS. If you see that your child has become dehydrated, so I think I've mentioned symptoms a couple of times there, so I'm not going to bore you with them again, but it is important to see a doctor. That's really the only scenario where you need to see a doctor with nausea and vomiting. So any of those symptoms I've mentioned earlier throughout this podcast, that's when you need to see a doctor. Okay, I think I have covered all the main points there. So I'm just going to have a little look here at the questions that came in on our Instagram question box relating to this topic and I'll get those answered for you now as well. Okay, so one of the questions was about hand gel, you know, just asking about a particular brand and whether it works against norovirus. And the answer basically is that no hand gel, alcohol or not, will be fully effective against norovirus. So it is a case of washing your hands for a good 20 seconds with hot water and soap. Well, warm water and soap. And that will do the job much more effectively than any hand gel. What I would say is it's no harm to use hand gel after that or as a complement to your hand washing routine. But don't be relying on it to prevent norovirus from spreading. Another question I got was, is there a period of immunity after having norovirus or can you have it again straight away after? And there will be a very short term immunity, but you're probably talking a couple of months. So, you know, unfortunately, it is one of those things that you can catch multiple times in a year. Sorry, that's not the answer you wanted to hear. Another question I got was, if your child has it, is there anything you can take to avoid catching it? So, no, it's back to real rudimentary things. So, obviously, Depending on the age of your child, you can absolutely ask them to wear a mask if they're old enough and they're comfortable to do so. It's also no harm to, I'm not going to say to isolate your child, but stay away from them a little bit so that you're away from coughs and splutters. If they're a younger child, you know, even an older, I had my nine-year-old before Christmas and quite frankly, I slept in the bed right beside her because she was so upset. So it's very hard when you have a child not to kind of expose yourself and, you know, many parents like myself will just go, here, I'll get into the bed with her because I, I just want to be with her and to make sure she's okay. Ultimately, you're doing your best in terms of hand hygiene, wiping surfaces, remember the bathroom. Like, I would definitely recommend having like a big pack of Dettol wipes and, you know, disinfectant spray, even something with a bit of bleach actually would be best. And just cleaning down the bathroom every time they've been in. Or if you're washing out a basin that they've been using, just obviously wash it carefully and use bleach on anything afterwards. That is really all you can do other than completely staying away from your child. But remember, they'll have been incubating it for one to two days beforehand. So often you're already exposed, but that doesn't mean that you're going to catch it. Someone was asking how you hydrate a breastfed baby safely when they're refusing boob. Well, there's two things. Depending on the age of the baby, I find or found because my children are a bit old now but I found when I was breastfeeding that if they were refusing boob often it was down to something like a sore throat or other symptoms as well even teething sometimes like that they'd get a bit funny about feeding when there was that kind of thing going on so 
It could absolutely just be from feeling sick that they don't want to feed. And all you do there is offer little enough and just keep letting them latch on and off as they want and as they can. And absolutely express so that your supply doesn't completely dip if they're not feeding, if you're in the early days of breastfeeding. And even for me, as a breastfeeder, I always had a low supply and it was always a battle. So I was always pumping away if there was any kind of dip in demand. Depending on the age of your baby, obviously diorolite may be needed, but we're talking about a young baby, you really do need to speak to the doctor about that. And if you do get medical attention for your baby who is going to be under two years and they say, okay, yeah, use diorolite, what you're going to do with the breastfed baby at that point is just offer them the diorolite just in a little five mil syringe and just kind of syringe it in to the back cheek of their mouth so that their tongue reflex isn't pushing the fluid out and it's most likely to be swallowed and you're just going to be given about five mils every five minutes and hoping that some stays in. Obviously with a young baby if that continues or if there's any signs of dehydration then you are going to seek medical attention. Someone else is asking should you continue to offer plain food while a child or adult is still experiencing vomiting? So what I'd say is in the very early stages, like if someone's dehydrated from vomiting and diarrhea, you're going to prioritize your rehydration. So you're going to stop any other milk or food other than if you're breastfeeding. You're going to stop solids in an adult. (laughs) Solids in an adult. Sorry, I'm so used to speaking about babies and kids that when I talk about adults, I tend to use the kids terms and it ends up sounding ridiculous just like that. Hold the solids for the adult. But basically, yeah. You prioritise the rehydration sachets. Once the rehydration sachets are staying down and, you know, the person is starting to perk up a bit, then absolutely back to normal diet. Normal diet, there's nothing you need to avoid and nothing you need to eat, additional or special. However, I would say steer clear of acidic foods because they're irritating to the stomach. So I just mean like fruit juice and things like that. A plain diet can be helpful. So things like toast or scrambled eggs and things like that, just uh, even soup. And just again, little or often, you're trying not to trigger the stomach into, I suppose, sensitivity. I got another message in just to talk about probiotics and the benefits to the immune system when vitamin D is included and prevention is better. And yeah, look, I've a mixed response to that purely on the basis that absolutely probiotics are amazing for gut health. And they are fabulous because they get your good bacteria working better to break down your food so that naturally you're absorbing the vitamins and minerals more effectively from the diet that you're already on. A lot of people come in to me looking for a multivitamin and I'm like, you don't need a multivitamin, you need a probiotic because you're eating a very balanced, healthy diet. And if you're having issues absorbing those vitamins, it could be that your gut flora is not performing well enough. So Absolutely, they have their place. And vitamin D, as you mentioned there, has been shown to really boost the immune system. It's an important part of the immune system. And even more during COVID, we actually saw that it helped to reduce the impact of COVID-19, which was the studies done on that as well. But even in general, vitamin D is really good for your immune system. However, I will caveat all of that by saying if you come in contact with norovirus and you do fall foul. It isn't because you didn't take probiotics. You know, it's because you caught virus and it can be unpreventable. What I would say is that after a bout of vomiting and diarrhea, your gut flora are very likely to be damaged and traumatized. So replacing them with a good probiotic is definitely a good idea. So thank you for that feedback. 
Okay, so that is all the questions and answers I have that I think I didn't cover within the episode itself. So I am very grateful that you tuned in to listen. And if you found this episode helpful, please, please, please do review it. Sorry, I sound like a desperado, but it actually does really help to share the podcast with more people and reviewing it, following it, subscribing it does really help. You can keep up to date with me on Instagram and I will pop my link to my Instagram handle in the show notes. Every week I will be putting up question boxes so that you can ask questions on the topic that I'm doing and I will include them at the end of the episode just like I did here. We also have our WhatsApp phone number which is 086 That's 086 And look, I'm here rambling away in your ear all the time. So absolutely <laughs> send me a voice note of you rambling away. And if you don't want your name or anything shared on the podcast, sometimes I will just kind of talk about the question you asked. And sometimes I will use your voice note in the podcast. So you can absolutely remain anonymous by just not including your personal information. So yeah, brighten up my day and send me a voice note. That's this week's episode. I will talk to you next week. Thank you.